Uh, this Sunday is Capture the Flag. So if you haven't registered, please go ahead and do that online just so that we can have a little bit of the idea of who's coming. And so that way we can also start to make the team. Um, right now, there's about 60 or so already signed up. That's not including a lot of you who I know are probably coming. You've told me you're coming and you're not signed up yet. So it's going to be an awesome game. Um, there's going to be a lot of people out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have hot dogs. We're going to have chili. We're going to have chips. We're going to have drinks. We're going to have s'mores. We're going to have a lot of fun at the bonfire uh, beforehand and then the capture fly game after. Um, I was thinking about this. Um, make sure that you bring clothes that you don't care if they get gross because it's probably going to be wet and muddy out there. Even if it doesn't rain on Sunday, which it might rain Sunday morning, it's probably still going to be wet and muddy out there. So wear clothes and shoes. You could care less if they get completely destroyed. Uh, also, you might want to bring a flashlight. It's really dark out there. I am going to have a flashlight because I'm a referee. But as you as a player in the game don't have a flashlight, that might not work so well for you. So I would recommend getting a flashlight or have your iPhone battery charged like 100% so that you can have that thing on full blast and be able to navigate through the woods. Um, and that is all I have to say about that. Okay, um, the other announcement is, I don't have a slide for it, but uh, Miss Rhonda had, had told me that she was going to um, try to work this out, and she has. So if you're a girl and you would like to help out with the ladies' ministry on Tuesday, it's the first Tuesday of every month they have a Ladies Connect um, event. If you would like to help out and serve in some way, talk to Miss Rhonda. I'm going to send this out to your parents as well, but if you're interested in helping out, um, ladies, if you wanted to help out the women's ministry, the first Tuesday of every month, they are looking for ways that you guys can get plugged in and help and serve in that capacity. All right. Um, two things also before I start. Um, it is somebody's birthday today. It is Oliviana's 17th birthday. So Oliviana, happy birthday. And then also Colton Yates, his birthday is tomorrow, right? Where is Colton? It's his birthday eve. So you can give them a round of applause real quick because they got a birthday today and tomorrow. So that's really cool. And we will, uh, we will sing you happy birthday at the end of the month with all the rest of January birthdays. All right, if you have your Bibles, I'm in 1 John chapter 3. Um, 1 John, we talked about a while back when we first started this book. Um, if you've seen it on the slides, there are three words that are always attached to this book. Believe, obey, love. The idea of this book is that if you practice those things, it's a way for you to test if you're truly saved. Like if you're truly a Christian... It's a test, and I, testing is kind of the thought tonight, and so I, uh, I, I looked up a test that all of you guys, some of you have taken, some of you will have to take at some point, the driving test. I looked at what it takes to get a learner's permit and then a license and how you have to do it. Now, if you already have taken said test and you have failed it at some point, I found out that you're in good company because it's about a 50% fail rate first time. That's not encouraging for the rest of us who drive on the roads. But it says it's a 50% fail rate, according to Google, for the North Carolina driving test. So if you failed, it's okay. You eventually passed, and now you're driving. So I thought it'd be fun is I took um, one of those practice ones that they have online, and I took it. I failed. <laughs> um, now, here, here's the caveat, and this is how this all works out. I failed because there's a section of the test that talks about, like, all the things you're not supposed to do before you drive, like driving under the influence. And it had all these questions about, like, how much alcohol does it take before, like, it wears off in your body? And, like, what should you not mix these two things? And I'll be honest, guys, I've never tried alcohol in my life, so I have no idea how long it takes alcohol to get out of your system. And so I've, I've guessed, and I got it wrong on the whole choice. And so I, there was a couple of those questions, and I totally 
failed. I, I went back through it and I was mad. I was like, this is ridiculous. I've been driving since I was 16 and I'm 35. So almost, you know, more than half of my life now. I've been driving, so I think I'm okay, right? And it, it really bothered me that I uh, failed the test. But I thought about it, and this really fits perfectly with what we're going to talk about tonight. I failed the, the test, right? Does that mean that I should take my driver's Some of you guys are going to be like, yes, uh, yes. I knew some. Should I take my driver's license and just shred it? Because I have not passed that test. I knew you guys are all so harsh, so harsh. And we're going to take this to a spiritual place, and that's how you're going to apply it spiritually. Then, man, you guys are really in for a rude awakening. But anyway, I, I started thinking about it. Like, should I not be allowed to drive later tonight because I didn't get those questions right? Those questions have no impact on my ability to operate a motor vehicle because I choose not to drink alcohol. So, I, therefore, I don't have to worry about how long I have to wait until after I drink said alcohol to get behind the wheel of a car. It doesn't impact my ability to safely navigate the streets or drive. Right? Right. So, that's a test that sometimes doesn't always prove that you can't drive. I had somebody else tell me, I don't have to take a test to tell me I can drive. I get behind the wheel of a car all the time, and I can drive. I have the ability to drive, just not legally am I allowed to drive. That's also comforting in, in so many other ways. Um, but First John is really all about tests like this. And the tests are designed, as John writes this book, so that we can know and show that we are saved. So we can know and show that we are saved. So I was thinking about this, and I brought a desk out um, because we're in a school building too. It doubles as a school building. So sometimes you guys approach tests, right? And before you even get to the test, you have some thoughts in your head. Like, oh man, some of you have test anxiety. So you sit down at the test and it doesn't matter if you studied, it doesn't matter if you know the stuff, the fact that it's a test, you go, this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail, I'm going to fail. And you probably know the stuff, but because you freak out and you, ain't, you get anxiety, you may botch it. Or you might get more wrong than you probably should, right? Now, some of you guys, when you get to a test in school or whatever, you walk up and you go, School's for fools. I could care less about school. I really don't care. I just want to get this done. This is not going to matter in my life, right? Whoever said that you have to actually know all this stuff? History. It's history. Why do we, it's, you know, why do we have to repeat the past? I'm living for today and tomorrow. So, eh, I'll just, whatevs. I'll give it a shot. Try it out. Some of you guys... A students, you know who you are, you walk in and you studied for about a week for a five-question test. And you show up, you sit down, and you are so confident because you have studied and you have prepared and you know all the material that's going to be on the test because guess what? The teacher gave you a study guide and the test questions match the study guide. That's wild! Who does that? Some teachers do, and some people actually use said study guide, and they actually pass the test because they were well-prepared. So you sit down, you very well-prepared people, and you're confident as you approach your test because you got this. I studied. I know I'm smart. I can handle this. Now, if you're like me, I kind of felt like that when I approached this driver's test on my computer today. 
I thought, I've been driving for so long. I know what road signs mean. I know all this stuff. And then I got the test back, and to see that I failed was kind of like a gut punch, and it was humbling. Some of you guys who are overprepared people, and you study, and you're really smart, and you've got the test scores to prove it, you sit down, and every once in a while, you may or may not get a test back, and you go, whoa, it's not right. Like, hold on, there's a mistake, because I studied, and I got it right. You hand it to the teacher, and the teacher says, no, actually, it's this. Wait, 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 what is this color red? I don't see that very often. I don't understand why, th- why is that on my paper? It should all be uh, green, black, or blue, because I don't do red. Red is bad. Some of you guys are very shocked when you approach a test that you're well prepared for and you fail it. And it's humbling. You get angry, you get upset, you get discouraged. Some of you guys don't know how to handle that type of failure. When 1 John is written, he says a lot of things, like we've been talking about the last two weeks, about how we should love one another. And he says that if you're going to love one another and you're going to love other people, it's going to prove that you are a Christian. But what happens when you blow it, when you botch it, when you don't love other people well? Or as we talked about last week, when you have the ability to meet somebody's need because you have the world's goods, but you literally just pass right by the need Sometimes knowingly doing so, right? Not out of ignorance. Like, you know, like, oh, I could probably help that person out. And we talked about it, whether it be goods or socially or, or spiritually, whatever. And, and you just choose not to do it. What happens then? What do you do with that? And that's what this text is about tonight. How do you handle failure? Or how can you really know that you're saved? There's so much in our world today that people, because truth as a concept is being eroded there are so many people who who would say to you how can you actually believe and know without a shadow of a doubt you're saved how can you really know that like how can you really feel that confident that if you were to die tonight it's going to be okay you're going to be in heaven not in hell how how are you that confident and scripture wants you to be confident. That's what I hope you will see in these first couple verses, and then we'll kind of see some application stuff on the end. So here's what it says in First John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21 first, and we'll, we'll pause and then look at the next few. So here's what it says. By this, we shall know that we are of him, excuse me, we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Okay, so I, wanted to, I just want to give you three really quick and obvious truths that are right here, just as easy as I can tell, right in the text for you. Number one, the first truth I want you to get is right out of verse 19. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are saved. That when you die, you will be with Christ in heaven and spared from eternity in hell. You can know that. Some people would like to tell you that you can't really know and that ultimately you just have to hope that at the end of the day it all kind of the chips fall where they may and it's okay. Some people will tell you you can't actually know truth. You actually can't be that confident. But this passage is telling you you can know by this. What is it saying by this? By all the things that you have done in your actions, in the way that you love people, in following Christ, morally choosing to obey Christ instead of following the world. You can know that if something were bad to happen tonight on your way home from here, God forbid, that you would be in the presence of God, not in hell. You can know that. 
Some of you guys think like that sounds like something that only adults get. No, it's available to you now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to have your frontal lobe and your, your cranium cortex developed to when you're 25, when that actually fully is developed. You don't have to wait. You can know now. That's the first truth. You can know that. God wants you to have confidence in your eternity. He wants you to. And, and what made me think of this and how I can prove that to you from Scripture is think about the criminal on the cross in Luke. In Luke chapter 23. Jesus is right there, right, on the cross dying, and there are two criminals to his left and to his right. One of the criminals is shouting out curse words at him and screaming and all these other things, and the other one is humbled and sees that Jesus is the Christ. He understands that Jesus is the Son of God. Something stirs in him. God opens up his heart, and he's convicted of his sin and recognizes that he needs Jesus to save him. Now, if you think about that, this guy didn't have the opportunity to love other people. He didn't have a chance to live a really good moral life. He approached the test, right? He approached the test unprepared. He showed up not studying. He showed up with none of the answers, not even knowing what was going to be on the test. But here he is, and now he throws himself at the mercy of God and just says, please, when I die, please don't forget me. And what does Jesus say to him? Don't worry. Today. Today you will be in paradise with me. I think that is one of the coolest, one of the most amazing pictures of salvation, that this guy, in his dying breath, calls out for salvation, and Christ reassures him. Some of you guys think that Jesus wants to play this game where you aren't really sure if you're saved so that he can kind of keep you close and kind of rein you in. That's not it at all. That's a really terrible way to be a loving God. Jesus doesn't play this game where he wants you to think that sometimes you're not saved so that you'll whip yourself into shape. If he would have done that with the criminal on the cross, you know what he would have said? I'll think about it, man, but man, why are you up here? Like, that was some bad stuff that you did, so I'll, I'll take that in consideration. We'll probably figure it out. It'll be okay. Let me just, let me handle taking on all the weight of the world's sin, including yours, before we deal with your stuff, right? Jesus didn't do that. In the midst of that, he says, you're going to be with me today in paradise. Jesus doesn't want to play this game where he's stringing you along thinking that, oh yeah, maybe, maybe you aren't. Maybe you should try to pray a little bit more. Maybe you should read your Bible more. No, he doesn't play that game. He wants you to know, to have confidence in your eternity. That's, that's the word that you're going to see over and over. Reassured and confidence in this passage. So here's the second truth. There are times when you feel guilty because you fail to meet God's standards for a believer. This is what verse 20 is talking about. There are times when your own heart condemns you. There are times when you know that scripture says you are to love others. You are to lay down your life for your brothers. Or if you were to see somebody else with the world's good, or see a brother in need and you have the world's goods and you close their heart, that you are to give to that brother and to love that brother. You understand that you don't do that perfectly, and there are times your heart convicts you. You feel guilty. You feel like you are a waste. You go, man, I can't believe I did it again. Or, man, am I really even a believer? Like, the, the, the Bible's so clear that that's how believers are to act, and I just don't see that in my life. This is, this is such a hard text to, to teach, but I, so I just have to balance this really carefully because there are times when you may not have ever given your heart to Christ and maybe you are not repentant of your sin. And if you are feeling guilty for those things, that might be the prompting of the Holy Spirit to push you into repentance, all right? But for some of you guys, 
there are times in your lives you are a believer in Christ. You may be young in your faith. Your, may, your faith may not be yet fully formed. You may still be growing. You may still make a lot of silly mistakes. You might be new to the faith and still trying to work out some different things in your salvation with fear and trembling. And you might still mess up. I don't want you to walk away going discouraged and defeated saying, I don't even know if I'm saved. Uh, and, and, and some of you guys know that, that hand-wringing type feeling you have. Like, is it real? I'm just not so sure. I, I don't know. God wants you to have confidence in your eternity, and God wants you to have confidence in your salvation that gives you an eternal resting place. He wants you to do that. There are times you will fail to meet God's standards as a believer, but let me just take you quickly, and Brian kind of alluded to some of the things when he was talking earlier, but in 1 John alone, let me just give you two verses from 1 John earlier in this book that remind you there are times you are going to fail. It's not good to fail, but there are times you're going to fail, and God knows that. Here's 1 John 1, 9. If you confess our sins, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. This is, this is beautiful. So, number one, if you fail the test of loving other people, if you failed that this week, if you failed that in the last 24 hours, if you failed that in the last hour before you walked in this room, if you didn't love others well before you got here, 1 John 1, 9. You can confess your sins, and God is faithful and just to cleanse you of that unrighteousness and forgive it. So I, you can confess it. Lord, I, I failed to love somebody well today, whoever that may, person may be, family member, friend, teacher, whoever. You may have failed in that way. You can confess it. And then you can lean on what this says in 1 John 2. If you do sin, you have an advocate. This doesn't mean that you feel like, oh, I'm so good, I can, I can, I can sin because I have an advocate. No, you, you recognize, I have an advocate, I messed up. Praise God that Jesus is righteous and he is the propitiation. He's the payment for my failure. He is the payment. I love this quote I, I, I found earlier today when I was studying this. It's the mind's knowledge by which the heart's doubts may be silenced. Some of you guys, in your hearts, you feel unsaved you have doubts because of something that's gone on but what you need to do to squash and defeat that doubt in your heart is to feed your mind with truth the mind's knowledge and what it's saying about that is the knowledge that you are not righteous christ is in your place if i could take you back to this desk and where this test is happening it would be like this if you showed up to the test and you said man i am not prepared for this i do not know what's about to be on this test i'm going to fail what is on this paper it is not going to go well no matter how hard i studied i don't get it for me that'd be trigonometry you could throw it out in front of me and i would not know anything and if i knew that coming into the test that i am going to fail this before it even starts that causes a lot of anxiety right you feel defeated but here, here's what it means that Jesus is the propitiation of the payment for your sin. Ready? You sit down for that test, and before you put your name on it, all the questions are already filled in with his handwriting. He's answered it all perfectly, 100%. Not a single one missed. Every little detail covered. And he puts your name at the top. And you get to submit it as if it is yours. But you didn't do the work. He did the work for you. That, that's a picture 
as much as I can, in, a, in an earthly way, give you a picture of what it looks like for Christ's righteousness to cover you and pay for your sin. You cannot perform this test perfectly. So when you sit down and you get the test, your name's on the top because your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but all the things that are written on it were done by him. The test has been passed by somebody else, not by you. But you get the credit for the test. It's pretty beautiful. That's what John's trying to encourage you is that if, if you fail, you can reassure your heart because God knows everything. He knows that you have failed and yet he chose to save you and chose to love you. And he knows that you're from the dust as the psalmist says. And yet he knows the end of your limits. He knows your frame. And he wants you to have confidence that you are saved. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ did. All right, here's the third truth. God does not condemn you. Therefore, your standing with him does not go up or down on different days based on what you have done, good or bad. God wants you to have confidence in your relationship with him. Here again is what it says in 1 John. He says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. God wants you to understand that you have a relationship with him. And if I can show you that really quickly in the last moments I have with you before we close out, is that in Hebrews chapter 10, he says this. This is a long passage. I want to give you just a couple of highlights before we go. It says this. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us because he says this. This is the covenant I'm going to make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened us through the curtain, that is his flesh, when he died, we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. I read from 17 or 15 to 22 if you want to look that up later. What that is essentially saying to you is that you are allowed to confidently go before God and bring prayer requests to him. You are, you are allowed to. God invites you. God wants you in his presence to meet with him, to pray with him, to talk to him. God wants you to have confidence in your relationship with him when you approach him that he's not going to go, oh, 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 hold up. But you, where you been? Where you been the last four weeks? We haven't talked. We, we got we to gotta build a little bit of a, a rapport back before we can start talking about your prayer requests, okay? You might need to read a little bit more of my word before we can start talking about promises that I want to make to you. That's not the game that God plays. God wants you to have confidence in your relationship with him. He does not condemn you. Your heart may tell you something's wrong, something's broken, and it may be. But here's the truth. God knows that and has saved you from it. He knows it and he loves you despite it. Because Christ has died in your place. I want to finish with this. I didn't have time to get through all of this. Um, but in the last part of the passage, let me just read this for you really quickly. In 1 John 3, and 24, he says this, Whatever we ask, we receive from him, because his, we keep his commandments, and we do what pleases him. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. 
just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let me, let me just clarify something really quickly for you before we go. This, this approach to prayer confidently, God wants you to approach him confidently. Here's, here's the good news. You can at any time ask whatever you need. Doesn't mean God's going to give it to you. That's not what this passage is saying. When it says we can ask whatever we want, whatever we ask we receive, it's not saying you're going to get. But what he's saying is you have the freedom to bring any content, anything in prayer to him. You have the freedom to bring anything to him. You also have the freedom in any circumstance or situation to access God in prayer. That's really what he's saying whenever we ask. I also want to clarify for you this, that it is not that you keep his commandments and then he listens to you. That's not what this is about either. This is really important. You are not just going to get what you want because you have kept God's commands. That's not what this passage is saying. And so there's two things I just want to clarify. I wrote it down this way. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God answers prayers based on your obedience. What this is saying is as you obey Christ, what's going to happen is your prayers will align with God's will. And you'll see that God answers more of those prayers. Because you will see that you want to do what he is asking you to. You will be molded into his likeness. Your obedience does not determine yeses and nos from God. Some people think that that's how it works with God. That's not, that's not it at all. The commandment that he gives, and this is where we'll end, is twofold. Believe Jesus is God. He is the son of God and love one another. Believe Jesus is God. Believe he is the Christ, the only one who can save you, that he came, died, and was resurrected for your sin. And then with that belief, allow that to allow you to love others. You can't flip the two. You can't love other people and then fall into belief. You can't do the whole loving other people right without the belief. And you can't just have the belief and not love other people. Your belief should drive you to love others because you see, as we talked about last week, your love for others will actually be an action, not just talk. Because your belief in Christ will change you. That's the commandment that he has to follow, that we have to follow. Believe he is God and love one another. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, it, it, I know that there are, um, there are two sides to this. There are people who are not saved and they don't realize it or they know it and it, it's not really a big issue for them. Lord, if that's somebody in here this evening, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and move and cut through their hearts to show them the need they have for you, a need that is for the forgiveness of their sin because they have offended you, a holy God. Lord, I know there are others who are saved and there are times where they are not sure. They are not sure if they are because they have failures in their life. They have sin that continues to creep up. Lord, I pray for those who you have saved. Lord, I pray that they would have reassurance as you promised here in 1 John 3. That tonight they walk out of here knowing that they are secure, not because of what they have done, not because they have passed a bunch of tests previously, not because their experiences tell them this, but because of what you have done through Christ.
May that reassure them. May they not live under the guilt and the shame that their own hearts sometimes bring upon themselves. God, release them of that with the knowledge of the truth of who they are in you. May you inform our hearts more about salvation through the knowledge of your word. May that transform our hearts, God, and help us to rightly discern where we're at. If we're failing the test, may we ask the bold questions and and really get to know, are we truly yours? If we're failing the test and we are truly yours, reassure our hearts. Don't allow us to become discouraged, Lord. You don't want that for us. You want us to live with joy and experience the relationship with you that is everlasting. And so, God, I just pray that you would do that for students in here who have that relationship with you. Fill them with joy as they leave this place. Reassure their hearts. Give them confidence to enter into these holy places, not because of who they are, what they've done, or what their family name is, or how long they've been in church, but they would have a confidence because they have been purchased by the Lamb who died for them. God, we thank you for him. We thank you for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right.